Hello everyone, welcome back to Pupil Politics. I'm Charlie and today I'm joined by Adam and Kay. Hi. Hello. And uh, since exams are coming up for us and for a lot of you guys as well, we thought it'd be beneficial to go through one of the ideologies that we have to study as part of Component 1. Uh, the one that we'll be going through today is Socialism. And so essentially we'll just be giving you sort of our rough guide to the topic, going through the key principles, uh, some of the tensions of the different strands within socialism, and also some of the key individuals that you can bring up in your essays. Uh, so we're starting with the core ideas and principles of socialism, and the first one we're going to be talking about is common humanity. Uh, so all socialists broadly are agreed that humans are rational social creatures and they naturally want to cooperate with each other. Uh, even though we may be motivated by material incentives like making money, uh, we can also be motivated by, be motivated by moral incentives, uh, for instance, doing something valuable to the wider community. Um, socialists talk a lot about a fraternity, the bonds of comradeship between human beings, including strangers. Um, but the different strands do disagree about whether humans are able to demonstrate these positive characteristics of fraternity under capitalism. Uh, so, for instance, Karl Marx is one of the individuals we're going to be talking about later, thought that capitalism inevitably creates conflict between the classes, uh, the bourgeoisie exploiting the proletariat, uh, and even creating tensions within the classes, i.e. workers competing with each other for jobs. By contrast, some of the other strands like social democrats and third-wave socialist thinkers have argued that we can still promote ties of responsibility towards each other with, within a capitalist system. Uh, for instance, the wealthy can accept their duty to support the less well-off via things like welfare and public services through taxation. Uh, all socialists agree that individuals cannot be understood in isolation because human behaviour is socially caused. Um, and that people are not born evil, a set of social circumstances causes some people towards a life of crime, i.e. people aren't born bad. Uh, but they do disagree about just how far human behaviour is socially determined or caused. Um, for Karl Marx, the entire way that we think is shaped by our economic system, so capitalism breeds greed. Uh, but for social democrats, the issue isn't as much capitalism as poverty, and if you eliminate poverty, then you can reduce crime. Uh, while for the third way, poverty might be a factor in crime, but the individual criminal should also take moral responsibility for what they do. Uh, so now we're going to move on to the next uh, tenet of socialism, which is collectivism. So collectivism as an idea is the theory that collective human effort is more productive, and this is speaking from both an economic and moral perspective. Uh, it would be worth saying that uh, sort of harder socialists, or so like Marxists, would more tend to suggest that it's uh, more economically productive as well as morally valuable. Um, however, it would be said that third-wave socialists place emphasis more on um, moral values, so building a uh, close-knit close community. Socialists, broadly speaking, are strong advocates of cooperation. Um, and under Tony Blair's government, it was declared that uh, by strengthening our common endeavour, we achieve more than we do alone. Socialists do, however, disagree about the role of competition. So if you take this from a more, maybe what you would call extreme perspective, you would say that Karl Marx saw competition as alienating one worker from another. Um, if you play this, place this to a more middle ground perspective of Anthony Crossland, uh, so talking about this from a, a social democrat perspective, uh, he would say that... Um, that some market competition generates wealth which could help fund the welfare state, whereas it was seen under the Blair government in a third-way ideology 
that inviting private companies to the uh, public sector could be a uh, benefit. Socialists disagree about how to balance the needs of the community and individual self-interest. So looking at this from a uh, revolutionary socialist perspective, uh, Joseph Stalin regarded the common goal for modernising the Soviet economy as more important than self-interest of the individual worker. Um, Consequently, his government took direct control of the industry of agriculture throughout the Soviet Union. We'll now talk about equality, and all socialists uh, agree that equality is a fundamental value of socialism. All socialists socialists believe in some form of equality. Um, So all socialists endorse things such as foundational equality and formal equality, but socialists also argue that these liberal equalities do not go far enough. Most socialists think that some degree of economic equality is essential, just varying on different levels of socialism. Um, They offer arguments for economic equality in terms of a united society where um, people of similar social position are more likely to see each other eye to eye. And economic equality leads to unity where in conjunction to um, equality of opportunity, which only implies selfish competition. Uh, They also make the argument of a just and fair equality, as wealth is produced by the whole community, not just by the few, Um, where revolutionary socialists agree in the the complete abolition of private ownership. Social democrats allow private enterprise, but impose taxes upon the wealthy, where the third way are more prone towards private enterprise. Lastly, their last um, argument for economic equality is human nature, that humans have broadly the same needs as each other. No one should have extraordinary wealth, while, by contrast, 800 million people globally are malnourished. Even the third way, the most watered down of all all socialist ideologies, have been responsible for introducing things like the national minimum wage. But socialists disagree about, well, what equality really means. Revolutionary socialists typically desired an absolute economic equality with the total absolution of the rich-poor divide, where social democrats agree that economic equality matters, but they are prepared to accept the narrowing of the wealth gap, not the complete abolition. By contrast, the third way more so promote the equality of opportunity and because of this Blair was seen promote equality of opportunity more than anything else. Okay, so now we're moving on to social class and social class uh, refers to a group of people in society who have the same socio-economic status and traditionally socialists have argued that people of the same class have similar long-term interests and tend to think in similar ways. So all of them are agreed that it's the role of socialist parties and socialist governments to advance the interests of the working class in some way um, and sort of varying in the ways that they do that depending on their strands. So, for instance, for revolutionary socialists, uh, they want the abolition of classes completely. For social democrats, it's narrowing the class divide, so not completely abolishing it, but still trying to go some way to uh, get rid of the divisions. Um, and for the third way, it's growing the economy so that all classes become richer, obviously including uh, the working class in that. Uh, but they also all agree that the working class have some role to play in securing their own advancement. 
Um, so for revolutionary socialists, that would be uh, the proletariat rising up in revolution against the bourgeoisie uh, to allow a socialist government to be elected. Um, for social democrats, the workers' role is to support the social socialist party in elections and also support their trade union in the workplace. And for the third way, uh, the least fortunate people in society should vote for socialist parties in elections. And ideally, a third-way government will offer training to help them access new job opportunities to help them advance for themselves. Uh, but ultimately, the least, fortun least fortunate do have a responsibility to take the training and career opportunities that are being offered to them. Uh, but the socialist strands disagree about how big a role social class does and should play in politics. So Marxist C-class is absolutely central in history. It's the defining um, intersectional point of history. Uh, so capitalist society is starkly split along class lines so you have the bourgeoisie on one side and the proletariat on the other side and the capitalist economy depends upon this, upon this division uh, because the bourgeoisie make their profits by exploiting the proletariat uh, whereas social democrats also think in terms of class but they don't figure, think of it so much as bourgeoisie and proletariat but as white collar workers i.e. people with more higher paying jobs like lawyers or doctors and blue collar workers uh, which are typically working class oc occupations rather than focusing on owners versus workers uh, you can use the state to redistribute some wealth from richer white collar workers towards the poorer blue collar workers to help ease the class conflict in society uh, and for the third way, uh, they attempt to harness votes and ideas from all social classes, not just uh, the working classes, uh, which is sometimes known as big tent politics, um, because essentially they argue that wealthy nation societies and economies have become less working class and less class obsessed as a result of deindustrialization. so you can't rely on just one social class to be able to elect a government in modern times. Um, and so if they put all their eggs into one basket, so to speak, in terms of supporting just the working class, then they won't be able to get elected in the first place. Uh, the role of the state isn't to abolish classes or even to narrow the wealth gaps between them. It's to ensure each individual is socially mobile and so they're able to succeed regardless of their family background. Um, one of the key principles of socialism is workers' control. This is essentially the idea that um, socialists want to see workers take control of both the economy or the state to some degree. It's just sort of debated over to what extent. Um, it's broadly agreed by socialists that everyone in society can benefit to some extent uh, from the wealth of society being divided up um, sort of between the workers and such and everyone can have a level of control over how the economy is run. Uh, when we assess how um, revolutionary socialists see uh, workers' control, um, they would like to see the private ownership is completely abolished. So um, this was definitely taken in the uh, Soviet Union, where we saw that, uh, broadly speaking, all, uh, all levels of private ownership was abolished, all run by the state, so therefore you know, using workers' control on quite a broad scale all across the country. Um, looking at social democrats, they've pursued uh, common ownership in uh, certain key industries. So under this we would look at things like coal, gas, railways and uh, waterworks. Um, and then uh, when we look at the third way ideology towards it, um, it was famously rewritten, as we'll, as we'll later touch on, uh, by Tony Blair um, in the constitution of the Labour Party, uh, that they would uh, drop the the principle of commitment to, con to common ownership 
And now we're going to talk about the different views and tensions within socialism, and I'm going to start with revolutionary socialism. So revolutionary socialists argue that socialism can only be reached by a sudden and complete overthrow of the existing economic, political and social structures. Revolution was thought to be necessary because in the 19th century, the extreme poverty of many workers meant that rapid change was desired. Most workers did not have the right to vote, so revolution was the only way it was the only option for them. The state was seen as biased and in favour of the bourgeoisie, the factory owners at the time. And a quote from Marx is, the extent of, of the modern state is by commi- committee for the managing the common affairs of the whole bourgeoisie. Also, capitalism was seen as inevitably exploitative and that it could not be tamed. Uh, Karl Marx was the most famous revolutionary socialist thinker. He argued that capitalism would one day be abolished and replaced with a system of communist equality. Um, His ideas were arguably put into practice by Vladimir Lenin in Russia in 1917, also in China in 1949, and in Cuba in 1959. So in contrast to revolutionary socialism, social democracy is revisionist, so it revises uh, Marx's original ideas and redefines socialism in three key ways. Uh, So the first way is that it takes a less hostile view of capitalism than revolutionary socialists do. Uh, Social democrats wish to reform and humanise capitalism. They don't plan to abolish it because they recognise that it is an effective way of creating wealth, even if it distributes said wealth unfairly. Uh, Marx predicted that capitalism was doomed to totally collapse, but social democrats think that capitalism is actually becoming more resilient over time. Um, But they do think that capitalism can and should still be morally criticised, and thus they seek to improve it. Um, The second way is that social democracy has a reformed view of what socialism looks like, arguing that the rich-poor gap should be narrowed, not abolished. Uh, Instead of wanting to pursue absolute economic equality, social democrats pursue social justice, uh, meaning that they want a distribution of wealth that's morally justifiable but not necessarily equal. And lastly, social democrats abandon Karl Marx's call for illegal revolutionary activity, uh, largely due to the advancements across history, you know, in terms of workers' rights and their ability to vote. Uh, So instead, they can argue that socialism can be achieved legally and peacefully through elections and electing socialist governments. So the third way is what we intend to say is the most recent revision of socialism. So the, the essential idea behind it is that it's a sort of middle ground between social democracy and neoliberalism. So the essential five main key uh, principles behind it are the idea of a relatively small state, which would contrast quite a lot to uh, revolutionary socialism, um, allowing for a uh, dynamic and free market. Um, We would also look at social responsibilities, so that kind of goes back to the uh, idea of uh, things like collectivism and stuff. Uh, So consensus in in place of class conflict, um, social inclusion and competition state. So we're now going to look at the key thinkers within socialism and I'll start with Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. Uh, Marx and Engels did not invent socialism, in fact they didn't even invent communism, but they did develop a network of theories known as Marxism and try to explain why it is inevitable that capitalism will be replaced by communism. 
Marx and Engels developed a theory of history known as historical materialism. This theory that in any society, the economic base, such as the economic system and technology levels, shapes the superstructure, which is cultural, political systems, laws, ideologies, religion, art and social consciousness. It also is to think that low levels of technology and a feudal economic system leads to monarchy, religious belief about God, hell and heaven, where high levels of technology and a capitalist economic system leads to pseudo-democracy and liberal beliefs about individualism. And the highest technology levels and a communist economic system leads to a stateless society and the end to false ideological beliefs. For Marx, social class is absolutely central to explaining how history unfolds. And he, was to, he thought that society moved suddenly from one stage of history to the next as a result of conflicts between ruling classes and the oppressed classes. In capitalism, the bourgeoisie, known as the factory owners, are locked in a class struggle against the proletariat, the factory workers. And Marx was... Marx thought that a central point in the proletariat will achieve revolutionary class consciousness, i.e. they will become aware that they are being exploited by the bourgeoisie. And at this point, the proletariat will rise up, rise up overthrow uh, the bourgeoisie and establish common ownership of factories, also seen by a lot of other revolutionary socialist ideas. So now we're moving on to Beatrice Webb, who, unlike Marx and Engels, was a social democrat. Uh, Beatrice Webb rejected a number of Marx's views. Unlike him, uh, she thought that a gradual parliamentary strategy would eventually achieve socialism uh, rather than a one-time snap revolution. Uh, She thought that so long as socialists were patient, uh, socialism would eventually be achieved because uh, the franchise was being gradually... gradually extended to include the workers so they could vote. Uh, the workers formed the great majority in society and so they could sway elections. Uh, these workers are naturally socialists and so as a result socialist governments would be elected uh, and these governments would be able to transform society in a step-by-step way legally and peacefully to gradually make the country socialist. Uh, Beatrice Webb was therefore an evolutionary socialist whereas Mark was a revolutionary socialist. Uh, her husband and collaborator Sidney Webb wrote of the ev- inevitability of gradualness. Uh, she also thought that to achieve socialism, the state must be expanded, not overthrown. Uh, she undertook extensive social research into problems like poverty, unemployment, and poor housing. She thought that all of these could be solved, but not by big Marxist theories in the Southern Revolution. Instead, uh, small, specific, and practical changes led by a sympathetic socialist government would be required instead. Uh, the state needed to be, quote, impregnated with socialist ideas and so it could be expanded to tackle each of the socialist, each of these social problems. Uh, for this reason, Beatrice Webb helped to found the Fabian Society, which uh, helps to campaign for gradual socialist changes, as well as the London School of Economics, which is a university to train the next generation of civil servants. Uh, she said that these sympathetic, well-trained civil servants would guide the mass of citizens to a socialist state. Uh, and in their final years, perhaps going a little impatient at the lack of change in the UK, the Webbs became impressed by the 1930s Communist Soviet Union under Stalin. Rosa Luxemburg was a Polish Marxist, um, and she became a German citizen aged 28. So Luxemburg essentially rejected evolutionary socialism and attempted to um, 
had a sort of revolutionary uh, style to her socialism. Um, she believes step-by-step change to capitalism will never liberate the working class, as capitalism is based on exploitation, and essentially, you know, with exploitation, will keep the working class down in spite of step-by-step gradual incremental changes which may occur. Uh, reforms would only distract socialist parties and proletariat from the need for a revolution. Um, she also suggested that proletariat uh, cannot afford to buy goods as they, uh, that they produce, as the bourgeoisie uh, have to offload these commodities onto uh, less developed countries, which leads to imperialism. Um, there was a famous quote from her as well, which essentially said that the working classes in every country uh, only learn to fight in the course of their struggles. Um, so th- this relates back to the theory of class consciousness, which she was a, a strong advocate for. Um, and then one of her other interesting beliefs was that she believed in a uh, five-stage system, which would lead to a uh, essentially would lead to a socialist revolution. Uh, she believed that uh, workers are disconnected with capitalism and the state. As first step, she then believed that they should go on a series of strikes, which would lead then on to a, a series of uh, climactic mass strikes. Um, the uh, penultimate step would be that the workers would achieve a level of class consciousness, which would then ultimately, as previously said, would, would lead to a socialist revolution. Unlike Marx, Luxembourg did live to see uh, the Russian Revolution. However, she was murdered two years later in a uh, political, politically motivated uh, assassination. Um, however, uh, Luxembourg, before her death, uh, and of course after the Russian Revolution, did express a series of serious concerns which she made about what, what was happening in Russia. So she said that without um, any kind of levels of uh, general elections, it restricted public life and it restricted uh, people's civil liberties, things like free press and assembly. Uh, She also said that uh, public life uh, gradually falls asleep as a few dozen party leaders of inexhaustible energy and boundless experience direct and rule, which I find to be quite an interesting quote. Um, she also said as well that um, freedom only for supporters of the government, only for members of one party, however numerous they may be, is no freedom at all. Uh, freedom is always and exclusively the freedom for those who think differently. Um, which, you know, is of course a quite serious criticism of the, uh, of the Russian state post-revolution. So on to Anthony Crossland next. So Anthony Crossland was a revisionist in which he looked at Marx's ideas and came to the conclusion that Marx had little to nothing to offer. In particular, Crossland argued that Britain had become a classless society and had achieved contemporary socialism. In particular, uh, Crossland argued that Britain had become a classless society, so class conflict was no longer the key driver of social change. Crossland identified a number of big changes since Marxist's day. Um, Democracy had developed, there was an increased franchise, trade unions had become more powerful, large businesses are now owned shareholders and managed by highly skilled salary managers. Given these changes, Crossland argued that capitalism didn't need to be abolished, it instead just needed to be managed. He argued that managed capitalism could deliver social justice and some degree of economic equality. 
Um, Crossan supported the state-managed capitalism system, which had developed in the UK under Clement Attlee, who was the Prime Minister from 1945 to 51, and then became largely preserved by One Nation Conservatives. In this system, a welfare state had been established, offering universal social benefits such as the NHS. Key industries had been nationalised as part of a mixed economy, such as rail, gas, coal, iron, steel techniques were being used to achieve full employment and now we'll talk about Anthony Giddens. So our final socialist thinker is uh, the only third way thinker in this list which is Anthony Giddens. Uh, He suggested a third way somewhere between traditional social democracy on the left and neoliberalism on the right. Uh, He wanted to harness the best of each while avoiding each of their weaknesses. Uh, So Whereas traditional social democrats emphasised state intervention, i.e. the state ownership of industry, uh, he proposed a free market economy uh, which would be able to produce the most economic growth and growth would benefit everyone, uh, which links back to that third word of boosting up every social class, not just, you know, just the working class. Uh, instead of economic equality, uh, he promoted equality of opportunity so that everyone uh, should have a chance to better themselves through their ability and effort. Uh, for Giddens, this meant that the success or failure of one generation should not affect the opportunities of the next. Uh, instead of economic and social engineering, i.e. taxing the wealthiest heavily to generously support the poor, uh, he proposed state investment in infrastructure and education, which would allow uh, Britain to train a world-class workforce, which would attract global investment, uh, meaning that the state would be able to help promote better job opportunities for everyone. Uh, and instead of co- the class conflict uh, that was believed in by social democracy, i.e. the tensions between the white-collar workers and the blue-collar workers, uh, because it wasn't as prevalent in modern society, uh, Giddens proposed instead social responsibility and community uh, to have a sense of unity. Uh, he wrote of the need to create a united, co- cohesive community. He wanted us to be able to balance our individual responsibility, i.e. to find work, with our social responsibility to help upskill and support others to do the same. Uh, Blair, of course, famously said in his famous quote that his priorities were education, 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 and he was definitely uh, someone who believed wholeheartedly in what Giddens was proposing, as well as US President Bill Clinton. So one of the final things I think it's important to mention is uh, Labour's Clause 4. So it was written by the Labour Party. Uh, to secure for the workers, uh, by hand or by brain, uh, the full fruits of the industry, most equitable distribution thereof that may be possible upon the basis of the common ownership by means of production, distribution and exchange, and the best obtainable system of popular administration and control of each industry and service. So essentially, this shows about uh, common ownership as a very key theme of the, well, the Labour Party, uh, up until uh, Tony Blair and socialism as a whole um, and it also shows quite a bit about um, the attitude of socialism at the time in 1980 the current clause for the Labour Party set in 1995 says that the Labour Party is a democratic socialist party and it believes uh, that by the strength of our common endeavour we achieve more than we achieve alone um, so it's to create for each, each of us means to realise our full potential for us as a community um, in which power, wealth and opportunity uh, are in the hands of the many, not the few, uh, where the rights we enjoy reflect the duties we owe 
and where we live together freely in spirit of solidarity, tolerance and respect. Now, I think this clearly shows that there's more emphasis on the moral value of collectivism rather than the economic value, as it did in the uh, 1918 uh, Constitution in Clause 4. Um, I think that, that's quite an important you know, thing to talk about when it comes to talk about socialism and the Labour Party in specific. So that rounds up on our guides to socialism from people politics.